All right, legends. Welcome back, dude, to yet another episode of Get Around Me. What a time it is to be alive, truly. This podcast continues at all costs, okay? Before we go any further, I've just got the slightest bit of administration. If I could have 30 seconds of your time, Brisbane, September 22, I am doing an encore performance of my show, Fourth Grade Ratbag. It is the same show I toured all around the country this year. So just a heads up, if you saw me in April, the show is a lot better now, but it is the same topics. So hope to see you there, Brisbane, September 22. If you missed out when I was there last, this is your last chance to see my show this year. You can get those tickets via the link in my Instagram bio. Okay, hope to see you there, Brisbane, September 22. Anyway, out the gate, I hate to follow administration with negativity. It's something I I often won't do or flat out refuse to do. But I'm going to have to come out the gate this week being a negative Nelly because I was was a victim of some poor-on-poor crime the other night. Okay, so what about this? And this is something that's been happening for years, and I think enough is enough. Okay? So the other night, I'm at the servo on the way home from my gigs, picking up a sweet treat for Adzi. Okay? I know what you're thinking. Sweets on a weeknight. But who am I to tell this man how to live his life? So Adzi texts me, mate, if you're on your way home... Pick up a block of chockey, do you mind? I said, mate, it would be my absolute pleasure. And my mind immediately starts brimming with the possibilities. You know, this isn't 1997 where they have normal chocolate and caramello if it's a pretty upmarket Woolies. Okay, now they're not even really blocks of chocolate anymore. Chocolate is just the casing that is sort of holding this whole thing together. You know, they're blocks of they're blocks of possibilities these days. You know, Cara Milk, Cara, who gives a fuck? Give me three. You know what I mean? So there's a lot going on. I roll into the servo, pumped up, ready to make a a pretty significant decision. And I think my eyes must be deceiving me. One block of chockey for $8.50. Okay. Now, unless, you know, Russia took over last night and we're living in some sort of a communist society... This is absolutely disgusting. And that's one thing. Okay, that's one thing. But this is where they come in over the top. One for $8.50 at the servo. Disgusting. Two for $9. And this is, this is entrapment and this is capitalism gone mad. Okay, one for $8.50, two for nine. My question is, do you want me to be fat, poor or both? Because that's where this is headed. Two blocks of chockey. Firstly, we're not freaking, you know, we're not higher beings who can just bring two blocks of chockey home and save one for tomorrow night. Me and Adzi clean them both off. Okay, so now this is the thing. Like, how could you possibly just it? Because they should be four bucks each. I'll let you have them at four fifty each because you're a service station and apparently you guys don't play by the rules. But one for eight fifty, two for nine, that's disgusting. I felt like saying, mate, there's your nine bucks. Now I'd like to return the first block for eight fifty. Thank you very much. Walk away with one block for fifty cents. But I think we both know if I propose that to the man behind the counter, 
I think we we both know what would have happened. You know, it would have been a one-way street situation where he would have flat out refused my request. And it was the smugness of the guy as well. I said, because I, I originally, I was like, I'm just getting one block of chocolate. We don't need two. Okay. And then the guy at the counter was like, you know, it's two for nine. And I thought, you piece of shit. I've, of course, I know it's two for nine. You know what I mean? It's plastered everywhere. You're throwing it in my face that you're taking advantage of me like this. And I think these chocolate deals at Servos have just got completely out of control. Completely out of control. What if I'm a single father and I, I can only afford the one block? You know? What if I got a diabetic child and no money? And now I've come home with two blocks of caramilk. You know? My kid's dead. I'm broke. I can't pay for the funeral. You know what I mean? It's just out of hand. If petrol is going to continue to go up in price, the price of the food in the servo should go down. And I don't think that's too out of the box to request. You know, next time you're handing over $85 for half a tank, pick yourself up a 60 cent sausage roll, fucking treat yourself, mate. You know, if Russia invaded Ukraine and all of a sudden the prices of servo meat pies went through the roof, Look at, watch Albo launch the ships immediately, okay? Watch those nuclear subs take off from the docks in Adelaide as quick as they can. Blokes would be volunteering, you know? There'd be no need for conscription. They, lads would be like, there's no way my son is going to grow up in a world paying 12 bucks for a sausage roll, okay? Honey, I'll be home in three weeks. I'll sort this out myself, you know? So I think service stations are out of control, I don't know who told servos that they're like fucking airports all of a sudden. You know, I'm sorry. I'm here to pick up some petrol and maybe a reasonably priced sandwich if it's not too much to ask. Okay. I'm, I'm sorry. Can I fucking fly to Bali from this BP service station? Because unless I can, you have no business charging people this much money for confectionery, you pieces of shit. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what I think about that dude, you know. <laughs> this podcast is so fucking dumb, I love it. <laughs> All right, so So that's that. Uh how much did that take up? Too long. Too long. But I'm not going to waste any more time complaining about the prices of caramel chocolate because we all know if you go to Woolies, they're pretty reasonable. And they'll often have deals on. Okay, unfortunately, there wasn't a Woolies on my way home. It's like 10 o'clock. The Woolies would probably be closed. You know, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of context in this situation. I had to get petrol as well. So it was kind of a two birds situation. But I don't want to bore you with the minute details. Okay. So anyway, moving on from that, I'd like to crack back into some yarns from my trip to America. Okay, this week I will be talking about our time in Nashville and Memphis. And then next week I'll be talking about my time in New Orleans. And then after that, Texas. And then after that, uh, we will go back to our regular programming, which is hearing about me striking out at various Sydney pubs on the weekend. Okay, so here we go. Now, Nashville was a significant moment on the trip because we flew to LA we flew from LA to Nashville, red eye. Nashville is where we picked up our rental car. That's where this air trip transformed into a road trip, okay? 
We no longer needed planes. We were, we were tarmac men, as it were. Now, let me tell you guys, if you haven't driven on the other side of the road in America, it is not chill, okay? At the start, it's pretty scary and pretty stressful. But, but after, you know, you drive for an hour or two, you sort of get the hang of things. Americans drive like psychos. That's a separate issue, okay? Fair play to Macca. I'll give this guy a rap. He put his hand up to drive first. He'd driven in America previously. I honestly was pretty scared. Even though I knew I was going to do it, I was freaking out. So fair play to Macca. On the way to the motel, Macca, he was going quite well. We were all switched on coaching him. You know, we would say, if you're turning right, tight right, you know. If you're going left, loopy left. You've got to go around the outside, you know. If you go on left in America, pretend you're a trailer park girl. You've got to go around the outside, okay. So, there was a lot going on. We were going great. And then just as we got to the motel, Mac has pulled onto the wrong side. We're in the left lane waiting to turn left on a hairpin turn on like a main road. So we're like, holy fuck, Macca, reverse this thing ASAPio. And we're all freaking out. Just as we get back into the right lane, no bands, a pickup truck the size of the rock's head comes around the corner at about 80 k's an hour. We would all be disintegrated, okay? At this stage, we've had the car for upwards of 11 minutes and we've almost been disintegrated uh, by a racist white guy in a pickup, Okay. So it's fucking stressful out here on these streets. And we get to our motel. We're staying in what can only be described as one of the more, you know, it's it's a shithole. I, I, I won't mince words. I won't try and put a poetic flair on, on what was essentially some of the worst accommodation we've seen. Okay. Now, there was no hostels in Nashville. Uh, the main one closed down due to COVID and the other one mysteriously burned down. Now, I think we can all agree that a hostel burning down in the middle of a worldwide pandemic where no one can travel, I think we all know that this is an insurance job. The owner has clearly lit that thing on fire and I respect him for it. So we had to stay in a motel. As soon as we rock up, I get out. This black guy screams at me in his car as he's driving past. If you guys need any tree while you're here, I've got as much as you want. And then called me the N-word about three times and drove off. So that's kind of the vibe of the Acom. And yeah, <laughs> it was kind of weird. We were literally off a highway next to a servo. You know, there was a bit going on. This is, this is the sort of uh, the neighborhood we were in. There was a taco truck behind the motel. We were waiting for our tacos one night. And this Mexican guy with a face tattoo came up to us and started chatting to us like full cholo. And this is how illegal weed is in Tennessee. This guy asked me if I could sell him some weed. I said, mate, you literally have a face tattoo. <laughs> That's how dodgy the South is and slash how illegal weed is. A guy with a face tattoo is asking me for drugs, okay? It's a kooky backwards, backwards area, the South, Okay. So we head out in Nashville. It is, it's crazy. So basically Broadway is the main strip in Nashville. Every single building is a bar with four levels. Every single level of every single bar has a live band playing from 11 a.m. till 3 a.m. every fucking day. 
It's insane. It's absolutely insane. And this isn't like going down to your local pub and seeing, you know, some dads playing a cover band. These musicians are fucking crazy, dude. Okay? We saw a Guns N' Roses cover band that would literally, like, melt your fucking face off. Okay? Some of the most talented singers, musicians, you know, guys would hit guitar solos and your head would explode like the end of Indiana Jones and The Last Crusade, you know, when they all look in the Ark of the Lost Covenant and their faces melt. That was me during some of these guitar solos. It was crazy, okay? So we had some cracking nights out uh, on Broadway. We had a couple of great nights out, and uh, I'm trying to cherry-pick some of the more significant stories. So... Broadway is just a lot of great music and a lot of good times. So there's not a lot of stories coming from Broadway. One night we went to Midtown and I highly recommend you go to Midtown if you're in Nashville. It's kind of like the coolest strip. And we went to a singer-songwriter night and this was sick because it was all like 23-year-old artists, all playing originals, all just hungry as fuck, you know, like the city hadn't broken them yet. Whereas in Broadway, all the musicians are fantastic but they're all like 45 alcoholics kind of washed up playing covers, okay? And they're absolutely slaughtering the covers. It's unbelievable music. But these singer-songwriters, you know, they're still getting after it, which I love. And what happened was, and this is kind of like a sort of a criticism of America that a lot of people hold. So what happened was, Mac is chatting to these blokes and they're on a Bucks party. And this bloke in the group is blind, And that's the issue with Americans, is they can't drink. It's a big criticism of the nation. It's not a stereotype, it's true. Blokes are out here having four Bud Lights, losing their mind, like it's not as close to water as you can get, while still technically being a beer, okay? So this guy takes takes exception to Macca, and says, hey, stop talking to my friends. Macca's like, Jesus, mate, all right, calm down. And then the guy goes, oh, you think you're a fucking cool foreigner? And then he goes to Macca, he goes, he goes, you know, we've got guns in this country. How about we go outside and I fucking show you? <laughs> like full-blown threatening to shoot Macca, okay? Now, I was at the bar getting some drinks in, but it's not the biggest bar. So I come back and this guy's like having a massive go at Macca. And I was cautious in America. You can't just be flying off the handle at people. Not that Macca did at all. This guy was just an absolute fuckwit. But you've got to... You've got to be a lot more careful in America, literally because of this very situation. Some guys are out here strapped, okay? So I said to his mate, I said, mate, can you just tell your friend to fuck off? Like, what's the issue, you know? And this guy's like, this guy says to Macra again, we got guns here, dude. We got fucking guns. How about I show you? Like, full-blown threatening to shoot us. And, you know, a couple of things on this. Firstly, mate, if this is... If you're going to, and the guy was just so blind, he could like barely talk. It was so embarrassing. It was like 10 p.m. And here's the thing. If you're going to threaten to shoot someone because you don't really like their energy or because they're talking to your friends, I mean, that's fine. I'm not going to tell you how to live your life or the code thereby which you live it, you know. But here's the thing. If you're going to threaten to shoot someone over this, where do you go from here? Because you've gone straight to 10. If you're going to threaten to shoot Macca because he's talking to your friends, where do you go if Macca fucks your wife, dude? You know? Where do you go if Macca punches you in the face? What, are you going to pull out a bazooka? 
Are you going to call in an aerial strike on Maka and the lads? You know? So we sort of, we were like, mate, and we sort of knew he didn't have a gun, but also we didn't really know. You know, people don't behave like this in Australia. It's fucking uncomfortable, dude. So then we go, all right, mate, whatever. And his mates are like, sorry about him. Sorry about him. This guy's not getting kicked out either. There's like zero security. You just threaten to shoot people over there. It's a fun place. So then, and the worst part was we're having so much fun. Like the live music was so good. So then, you know, his mates are like, sorry, sorry about this. And then so we go back to watching the live music and call me a pussy, but it's fucking hard to enjoy live music when there's a guy standing right behind you. He, he didn't leave. He was standing right behind us. And I said to him, I said, mate, do you mind like fucking off a bit? Like, you know what I mean? We're just trying to enjoy the music. And he kind of, he attempted to stand over me, but he was tiny. He, he fucking kind of got right in my face. He said, I ain't going anywhere, boy, like this. And I'm like, fucking hell, like, did I beat this guy up in a past life? You know, did I freaking kill his daughter in the 1800s? Like, this guy was just out of control. And, mate, it's, it's fucking uncomfortable with a bloke who just threatened to shoot you standing behind you you know it's it's very hard to sort of slip back into vibing out to a full a few tunes you know so this guy totally ruined it we we ended up going upstairs and fucking hanging out on the balcony or the rooftop for like an hour totally ruined the vibe this guy anyway we went back down he was gone cracking night we went to this bar afterwards and it was cool like all the musicians went to this bar afterwards so everyone who played the music night was there and so you just be at the bar, I was like, mate, you fucking ripped, you know, it was so good. Met this girl, Kayla, who, this is the one girl where, you know, we were talking to some girls on this holiday. I'm not going to sugarcoat it for you. Um, but this was the one girl where I was like, fucking hell, I've got a huge crush on this chick. Like, holy shit, dude. You know, she was like a former musician and then she was an agent. She was only like 23, but she was like blonde and Southern. She was doing all sorts of things for me. Anyway, she drove us home like we were drinking with her for like three hours doing shots and stuff and then as we're we're like all right we like the bar closed out and she's like oh hey y'all you can get a lift home with me so this chick drove us home like blind in one of the more reckless uh sort of things i've ever seen i don't think they really have rbts in america you know people are just driving around drunk all over the place i don't know i was turned on which i don't know what that says about me you know plus a free lift home I mean, this chick was checking a lot of boxes. So that was kind of disturbing, but also really fun. And the next day we went to we went to a few guitar shops and this sort of stuff. We went to the Grand Old Opry. Highly recommend you go there. The spiritual home of country music. So when we survived that Midtown night out, that was good. And then so we thought we'll stay in Broadway after that. And uh, we went to Third Man Records, which is uh, the studio of Jack White, head of the White Stripes. So this was unreal. And this was kind of like a hidden gem of the trip. Vol, who was with us, is a musician. So he was like, we have to go. And this was crazy, dude. Like, this Jack White guy is an absolute renaissance man. Like, it was like every wall in the studio was painted a certain color, depending on which way it faced. Like North was blue, South was red, West was yellow. Every staff member had to wear black and yellow. Every bit of furniture was black and yellow. Then there was the blue room and like, it was just 
It was the weirdest, craziest building I've ever been in. And they told this great story. This journalist wanted to interview Jack White a few years ago. And Jack White said, all right, you have to meet this man at this bar in Memphis and he will tell you what to do. And then this is the tour guide was telling us this. And so the guy, the journalist goes to this bar in Memphis and meets this man in a black suit as Jack White instructed him. And the guy goes, all right, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to handcuff this suitcase to you. You're going to drive to Third Man Records in Nashville. And there you're going to give it to Jack White and he's going to interview you. Or then you can interview him, I should say. So the journalist is like, what the fuck is going on, dude? He drives two, it's like three hours from Memphis to Nashville. He drives there, he gets there. Jack White has called in every staff member at Third Man Records. Everyone thought they were getting fired. He's called in every staff member. The guy brings the suitcase from Memphis. Jack White opens it and goes, all right, you can start your interview after we're done with the suitcase. And the guy's like, okay. So all the staff are there. Jack White opens the suitcase. Inside is the first ever pressing of a record by Elvis. The first ever press. The first two songs he ever recorded. Jack White bought it at a secret auction for like 500 grand or a million bucks or whatever. And then he played it for all of his staff members and the journalist. And everyone is like freaking the fuck out. And then after that was done, then he said, now we can start the interview. (laughs) So that was fucking sick. And they had the first ever press there. It was in like a vault. They didn't let you see it. But so that was great. We went out to Broadway for our last night out in, uh, in Nashville. We were there for like four, three, four nights. And it's a loose town. Like when you go to Nashville, like get prepared to drink. Like it's a drinking town. There's a lot going on in this town. It's fucking awesome. So we went out last night and we had an absolute rager. But this is... This is where it gets a bit slippery with the tipping. We went into this one bar and we were chatting to what can only be described as the hottest chick I personally has ever seen. Okay, she's the bartender. So this isn't a brag. She was, you know, legally obligated to serve us. And so she's doing shots with us and we're chatting with her and she lived in uh, Melbourne for a year. So there was this whole thing. And she was like, let me get your Instagrams. And she followed us all on Instagram. And we're chatting with her for like 15 minutes doing shots. And then like, you know, obviously I tipped her like 10 bucks. It was like a $40 round. I tipped her like 10, 20 bucks or whatever. I don't know. I tipped her heavily. I can't remember. It was like an expensive round. It was like four beers, four shots and and some jelly shots. She was like, I'll give you these jelly shots for free. But then we got two jelly shots because Vol had never done one before. And he just started eating it with his fingers. And the woman's like, what the fuck are you doing? And Vol's like, I'm so sorry. He's got like jelly all over himself. But then, so we hung, we hung out with this bartender for like 20 minutes. Like there was no one else at the bar and she was such a cool chick and it was so fun. And she, you know, we're talking about Australia and she'd been to New Zealand and she was also like, it's so fun. There's no RSA over there. Like the bartenders will drink with you in America, you know, they love it. I think they're told to do it to like, it encourages you to drink, you know? So it's so fun. But then you leave that interaction going, like, was any of that real? You know, because like she's just made a fucking fat tip, you know, and I tipped her because the service was great and she was an awesome chick, but you just walk away going, did she even like us? (laughs) Like, you know, was that a genuine interaction or have we just been taken for an absolute ride? It's quite uncomfortable. 
So that's where the tipping thing gets a bit slippery when you you meet someone at a cafe or a bar who you do really get on with and you do have a fucking great time with and you do want to tip them because the service was so great and, you know, enjoyable. But then you think, you know, <laughs> you leave going like, have I just like had a, had a chat with a new person who I've just met and that was fantastic? Or am I just a complete fucking idiot? <laughs> like, So it's stuff like that where you go, it's a bit fucking how you're going. So then we ended up in Broadway till bloody God knows what time. And um, I, went, I went to bed at 4.30 a.m. And I was the biggest nerd that night. Just to give you a window into the energy on this trip, okay? And so the next day, because I went to bed, whoever went to bed first each night was the dad that day, okay? The dad had to drive. The dad had to make sure we were out for check-ins, check-outs, and this sort of stuff, Okay, so I had to drive us from Nashville to Memphis three hours straight because I was the dad. Macca slept most of the way and, you know, it was quite stressful on these highways. Blokes are just absolutely hassling you, okay, hassling the fuck out of you on these highways. So we get to Memphis, okay. Now, when we were telling people we were going to Memphis, everyone was like, oh my God, please be safe. (laughs) They're like, y'all strapped? How many weapons do you have on your person right now, sir? I'm like, Jesus Christ, dude. We just want to like go and see some blues and jazz and go to Graceland. You know, what the fuck? You know, Americans are so alarmist. They tell you like, just make sure you don't get killed. They're like, stay as a group and, and make sure you've got rosary beads on you at all times. And I was, I was getting kind of sick of it. I was asking people what is fun in Memphis. And the people would just be like, I'll tell you what's fun about Memphis staying alive do not go to that city you know well let me tell you that the people of uh the people of nashville who were telling us about memphis they were correct okay if you go to memphis it is very dangerous okay stay strapped stay safe all right like we went into the main strip of memphis firstly our hostel in memphis about four different security codes uh so much security the main strip of Memphis, just to enter Beale Street, you have to get metal scanned, no guns or knives. You know, it's freaking full on. So we get to Memphis and we're going out again because it's Saturday night and it's just the pace of this trip was shocking. Okay. So we go, I go, let's just get some beers across the road because all the convenience stores and service stations have beers. If you want to get spirits, you have to go to a liquor store. I said, let's grab some Budweiser across the road. Macca says, nah, let's get some spirits. Like, I'm sick of beers. Or like, I just feel like spirits. I go, all right, fine. So we drive to a liquor store. It's about a five-minute drive, if that. We get out of the car. Within 10 seconds of us getting out of the car, and it's like a five-meter walk to the liquor store. We're in the parking lot of the liquor store. About 10 black guys across the street maybe six of them shirtless, start screaming at us like, hey, what the fuck are y'all doing here? You fucking white boys? Like, going nuts, like, crossing the street, going like, get the fuck out of here, like, all of this stuff. And we're like, first instinct, I was like, oh, just don't say anything to them. Because, you know, like, when you're traveling, sometimes people hassle you and stuff, and you just got to sort of, you know, just hold the steez a bit and just keep your head down, you know? not the first time I've been hassled overseas. Anyway, then we sort of turn around. I turn around to look at the lads and there's like three more black guys behind us, but these guys are like not 
sort of gang guys. These are like sort of cracked out. They just look scary as fuck. Like sort of, they're like more like insane homeless people. And they're not threatening us at all. They're just sort of being crazy in their own little way. But it's, it's kind of scary. So then we walk another couple of meters. These black guys are getting, they're fucking gaining pace. It's like a big road. It's like a two-laner each way. And they're like crossing the road, screaming at us, threatening us. And then I go, I go to the lads. I go, fuck, I don't know about this, to be honest, you know? And, and yeah, Macker and Vol are like, yeah, dude, let's get back in the car. And I go, good call, lads. So all these black guys are running over. We get back in the car. We're like f- terrified. I'm like, Macker, get us the fuck out of here. All these black guys are running over. So scary. We're about to get jumped. Mac is freaking the fuck out. I'm freaking the fuck out. Vol's freaking the fuck out. This this older black guy like walks up to our car. Macca thought we were getting carjacked. I'm pretty sure this guy was just going to the liquor store as well, but it was there was a lot going on, okay? It's chaos. And then so we go to pull out of the fucking car park. Macca accidentally goes out the entry, not the exit. So then we start reversing. All these black guys are still screaming at us. We're like Holy fuck. I'm like, Macca, drive, drive. <laughs> we are freaking out, guys. And then so Macca, in a panic, trying to get trying to get away, you know, Macca's like, shit, let's go, go, go. Macca pulls out. We pull into the fucking oncoming traffic. We pull onto the wrong side of the road. So then we got to reverse back into the car park again. We're all fucking, I'm like, go, go. I'm like, back in, back in. We're on the wrong side of the road. We pull back into the car park. All these black guys are still screaming at us. Like, to be fair, like nothing's happened. Like we're in the car. The doors are locked. You know, like we're freaking out. And then, so then we fucking speed out of the car park at about fucking 900 miles an hour. We're like, holy shit, dude. And then we realize as we're driving around, we're like, oh, fuck, dude. We're in the, we, we're in the middle of the hood. We drove into the worst neighborhood I've ever been in. Like every third house is abandoned. There's just like cracked out people on the streets. Like there's just shit everywhere. Like there's just piles of rubbish, burnt out cars. Like we're like, holy fuck, dude. Like we just drove into the work. We didn't even think like it was, I almost think us almost getting jumped was pretty much our fault because if we were just switched on even 10% to the area we were in, we would not have gone to that liquor store. But it was a reminder. Yeah, dude, this city is not chill you know, and we were like, holy fuck, so we're in the hood, and then, uh, (laughs) or the the projects, the PJs, (laughs) so I don't know what you're supposed to, I don't know what the politically correct term is for these neighborhoods, but, um, but the dodgiest neighborhood in town, Mac is having a goddamn panic attack, we all are, Macca pulls onto the wrong side of the road for a second time, we're like, holy fuck, luckily no cars coming, then I'm like, all right, let's just look for another liquor store, Mac is like, fuck that. We're going back to the hostel. I'm like, totally fine. Let's get out of here. Then this time, Macca pulls onto the wrong side of the road for a third time because he's just, we're all in a panic, okay? We're trying to get back to the hostel. We don't know the way. We pull onto the, onto the wrong side of the road for a third time. This time, it's like a three-laner. There's cars coming at us about 80 miles an hour. Not chill. I go, Macca, reverse. And, and Macca, like, spits the dummy. He's like, well, fucking hell, Bill. What would you do in this situation, mate? What would you do? You know, like, full dummy spit. I go, reverse. Reverse the car. I'm trying to be calm because Macca's freaking out. I'm freaking out. We're all stressed the fuck out. 
Vol in the back seat is just screaming. He's like, reverse, reverse, reverse. I'm like, we need to reverse, Michael. We need to reverse. He's like, okay, okay. <laughs> fucking reverse. Literally almost getting a fucking head on. Get back to the hostel. Basically sprint into the hostel at this point. You know, like literally slam the door behind us. Like, holy fuck, we're lucky to be alive, you know. It was terrifying, okay? So be careful in Memphis. And I will say, just be mind... When you're in the South, this is for the whole of the South, just be mindful of the neighborhoods you're in. Because, you know, what we found out in a lot of these cities is you can be in a great neighborhood... And it's not like Sydney. In Sydney, if you're in a great neighborhood, you've got to drive like 20, 30 minutes to get into a bad one. In some of these cities, towns in the south, you could be in a great neighborhood and drive for like 35 seconds and you're just, you're just in the hood, dude. And it is not chill, okay? And uh, they don't want you there is what we found out. So, you know, stay strapped, stay safe. And... Uh, Anyway, that night, we put that behind us. We went out to Beale Street, which is the main strip of Memphis. It's like 1% white people in Memphis. I had no idea. Uh, massive culture shock, you know. It was a lot going on in Memphis. And also, we, we'd just been almost jumped by black guys. So it was like, you know, it was, it was just like, there was just a lot going on in the, uh, in the afternoon, evening. Obviously, by the way, Beale Street in Memphis, it's like 99% black people. They're all fucking lovely. We had the best time ever. Okay, so still go to Memphis. I'm just saying be careful where you go. But we went out to BB King's Blues Club in Memphis. You gotta go. Thanks to Vol, uh, the musician in our group, for taking us to all these places. I am too uncultured. I never would have gone to these places. It was unbelievable. Uh, it was like such a stereotypical blues club. As soon as we walk in, there's like a beautiful black woman with a massive Afro singing. And she was like unbelievable. She sung Natural Woman. And I think it honestly changed my life. I think it redefined what I perceive as art. Because like her performance was just unbelievable. I don't even know how to put into words what she did. Okay. It was just fantastic. And it's an interesting town, Memphis. After the Blues Club, we went out. And it's so funny. There's literally like on one side of the street, there's the White Club. On the other side, there's the Black Club. So, you know, we went to the White Club. You know, there's no heroes in this group. And, you know, cracking night there. Just got blind as bats. Good times. I will say the great thing about America is in the beer gardens, people are just blazing it. People are just smoking weed in pub beer gardens. It's fucking sick. But anyway, great night there. We go to this like late night diner and it was so so fun. We actually did try to go to the Black Club at like 2 a.m. And the guy charged us like $30 cover to get in. And I believe we were profiled because I didn't see anyone in front of us in the line pay. So I think we were profiled there. And then we went to this diner and it says on the front of the diner, world famous gumbo. You know, everything's world famous in America. You go to some town in the middle of nowhere, they reckon they've got the best chicken sandwich you'll ever have. Whatever. That's another thing. So, went to this diner. It says, world famous gumbo. Okay? The guy comes over to serve us, this white guy, and uh, he goes, Maka goes, what would you recommend? And the guy goes, the ribs. We do great ribs. Maka and Vol get the ribs. The guy goes to me, what would you like? I said, mate, I'll have the gumbo. I'm thinking... I'll get the world-famous gumbo, you know? Fucking great. 
The guy goes, are you a fucking idiot? <laughs> I go, what? He goes, get the ribs. He goes, we're famous for our ribs. Why don't you get the ribs? I go, oh, I was kind of keen on the gumbo. He goes, mate, honestly, get the ribs. You won't regret it. He goes, trust me, just get the ribs. I go, all right, Jesus Christ, I'll get the ribs. The ribs are about $40 as well. So he's upsold me about 25 sheets. Sharp stuff from the great man. And then I got to say, yeah, the ribs were fucking unbelievable. What I didn't ask for was the dessert, which was him throwing it in my face afterwards. He was like, how good were the ribs? I go, mate, they were great. They were fantastic. Thank you. He goes, I told you. I told you. Can you imagine if you got the gumbo? You'd be kicking yourself right now. You'd hate yourself right now, mate. You wouldn't believe yourself if you got the gumbo. I'm thinking, well, fucking hell, take the gumbo sign down, mate. Okay. You know, there's only one sign on the outside. It says order the gumbo. You know, God forbid you follow a sign. But he was right. The ribs were unbelievable. I'm an idiot. And, uh, and so on and so forth. And then we got an Uber home at like 4am with this hilarious black woman as our Uber driver. Anytime you had a black person as your Uber driver, they're like the funniest, most entertaining person you'll ever meet. You know? The, the white guys, they just, they'll just stonewall you. Or that, that's best case scenario. Or you got to talk to a nerdy white guy about Australia for like 20 minutes. So anytime you get a black Uber driver was just awesome. This chick was hilarious. And she told us she got shot at the, the week before in a drive-by. And she was like, yeah, it ha- it, that just happens in Memphis. So much gun crime in Memphis. So stay strapped, stay safe. <laughs> and uh, while we're in Memphis, obviously, we went to Graceland as well. Not too many stories there, but I highly recommend you go. It's so fucking sick. Okay. So that is... The stories from Nashville and Memphis. Hope you enjoyed them. Let's get into a few topics now. Firstly, I've decided Fun Fears is dead. I'm over Fun Fears. Just got sick of it. So that segment is dead. I'll think of something to replace it. Until then, I'm going to tackle some topics. So firstly, I want to talk about this Pelican Andrew Tate for a little bit. Okay, now Andrew Tate became super famous while I was in America. And, you know, when you're on holidays, you're not really... I'm not sitting around watching YouTube or watching any telly, really. So you sort of miss out on the zeitgeist a bit. I came back from America, and this guy's like the most famous guy ever, okay? And obviously, hugely problematic guy. But I thought, let me watch a few clips of this bloke and see what all the fuss is about. So me and Adzi were watching it the other day, watching... uh, He was on the Nelk Boys podcast... And if you don't know about Andrew Tate, he's that bald guy on YouTube. He's like, a, I guess, a life coach slash entrepreneur slash like dating coach. I don't really know how to describe him. All these life coach, dating coach guys are always a little bit sus. You know, there's always something a little bit off about them. And, you know, this Andrew Tate guy, it's pretty bizarre. You really have to cherry pick with this guy. The first video I saw, he was talking about not vaping. He's like... Of course, vaping is bad for you. Stop fucking vaping. You should do some push-ups. I thought, what's all the fuss about? This guy's basically healthy Harold, you know? And then it, the really, the big issue is, mate, when this guy talks about women and sex and relationships, it's fucking full-on, dude. Like, it's pretty, it's pretty much hate speech. <laughs> you really have to cherry-pick with this guy's videos. With Andrew Tate, you really have to just cherry-pick what this bloke's saying. He'll be like, you know, you got to go to the gym even when you don't feel like it. You're like, all right. He's like, believe in yourself. You can have anything you want in this world. 
You're like, okay. He's like, women are our property. You're like, whoa, okay. We're going to have to let that one go, Andrew. Jesus. Mate, stick to the motivational stuff. What the fuck are you talking about, brother? You know? And it's just, it's kind of bizarre. If you take out the women and stuff, he's almost, you know, he's an interesting guy. He's clearly got shitloads of charisma. The problem with these guys who are in their 30s talking about women and dating and anytime you see one of these pickup artist life coach guys in their 30s, it's always some nerd who missed out on their 20s. And that's the issue. Like Andrew Tate is like, yeah, I, I, I sleep with women casually. At night, I go to clubs, I drink, I talk to girls. Yeah, I'm so cool. It's like, yeah, dude, why are you doing that stuff at 35? What the fuck do you think the rest of us have been doing with our 20s? You know? You're not reinventing the wheel here. Like, why are you clubbing at 35? You're wearing glasses inside. It's because they're transitions, mate. They're fucking reading glasses, brother. You know? (laughs) Check out the font on Andrew Tate's phone. I guarantee it's fucking enormous, brother. (laughs) It's always these guys who missed out on their 20s. And it's like, you get the allure of this guy. He's saying stuff you shouldn't say. You know, he's saying, you know, uh, he said uh, on one thing, he said women should bear some responsibility for if they are raped. And it's like, mate, you just can't say that. And that's why he's so popular. It's fucking interesting to watch people say and do stuff you shouldn't do. You know, that's like, it's, it's fucking exciting. People are like, I can't believe he said that. You can't say that. Of course you can't say that. But like, <laughs> it's interesting with this guy, like these entrepreneurs, guys, like the guy literally got done up on sex trafficking charges in Romania. And then he's going around the world saying, live like me. It's like, you're a fucking criminal, mate. Are you out of your goddamn mind? And just keep it to yourself. If you want to live like this, you know, clubbing at 35, you know, wearing Gucci slippers with a shaved head, you know, live your life, but keep it to yourself. What is with these entrepreneur dating coach guys where they've always got to be like, look at me, look at me, look at me. It's like, mate, just keep it to yourself, dude. And it's also by the by, like these guys like Andrew Tate are like, you got to turn up for work every day, no matter what. It's like, yeah, dude, that's what a job is. Okay. (laughs) Normal people in their 20s, normal blokes in their 20s already work every day, go out on the weekends, drink, talk to women. The problem is it's this like subclass of beta male in their 30s who never did any of this stuff and and sort of get into this, you know? And me and Adzi were watching a few clips of him and we're just laughing our head off. He said at one point, because like he's so ridiculous. He said at one point, he said, uh, <laughs> this is so fucking crazy. He said at one point, he goes, uh, he go, what do you say? He goes, these men who've had sex with five women are trying to control women who've had sex with a hundred guys. He's like, dude, these whores are going crazy, running through dick like it's nobody's business. <laughs> He's always talking about these hypothetical whores and these hypothetical situations. He goes, he goes, if if you were in a plane crashing to earth, would you choose a male or a female pilot? And it's like these weird hypotheticals. And it's like, I'll tell you what, mate, if we're crashing to the earth, how did we get up there? There's already a fucking pilot in there. The current pilot, whether they be male, female, or anything in between, can remain in their post, okay? Don't fucking try and trick me with these stupid hypotheticals, you know? There are differences between men and women. I'll go in on that. But don't use it to push this misogynistic agenda. You know what I mean? But 
but I've seen a lot of women posting about this online and how he's pushing this misogyny and it's extremely dangerous and all of this. And I, I, I thought about that because I watched a few clips of his on YouTube and we were just laughing our head off. We thought it was fucking hilarious. But I thought about that and I thought, and a lot of people are worried that this guy being so popular on TikTok is going to affect the next generation of men, you know, 15, 16, 17, 18, and how they view women and how they treat women. And so then I thought about that for a bit and I thought, that's interesting. Because when he was saying all this shit about women on YouTube, I, I was just laughing my head off because I, I know that's not true and that's not the case and that's not how I would treat a woman. But I'm also 27. So I thought, if I was 16, would I be laughing at this guy or would I be listening to him? And I think that's where it gets a bit slippery with this guy. And, you know, I'm not holding Andrew Tate accountable because it's not Andrew Tate's job to raise every young man around the world. It's the parent's job. And I, and I believe that when it comes to sportsmen as well. But the guy's an absolute, you know, he's a misogynistic psychopath, most likely a rapist. And I don't know. I don't know how seriously we need to take him because I don't think he can get any more shocking than this unless he just starts saying the N-word regularly out loud on YouTube. I don't understand how he could be he could be more provocative regarding sex and women and this sort of stuff. So I think this Andrew Tate guy is probably a flash in a pan and a pretty entertaining one at that as long as you don't take him seriously. So I, I would hope that uh, the 16-year-olds of the world are not taking him seriously. Hopefully they've been to Healthy Harold enough times to know that, you know, women aren't property. But at the same time, maybe it's something we need to think about. I'm not sure. Luckily, I think this time next year, Andrew Tate will be irrelevant. I don't think he'll even make the end of the year because I don't really see how he can... The guy's like a one-trick pony, you know? Women are property. Women are this. Women are that. It's like he can't really be any more derogatory towards women. So unless he starts sort of, you know, teeing off on Asians, I don't really see where this thing's going. But yeah, it's interesting to think about. I can't tell if the guy's just an absolute joke or like a real problem. Let's be honest, he's probably both. So that's what I think on that absolute fuckwit. Okay, up next, I want to talk briefly about something I saw. The world's hottest grandma on Instagram. She's 51 years old. Now, if you're wondering what she's what she looks like, I'll I'll paint you a word picture. Uh, basically, she is blonde with enormous fake tits. Okay, I think someone needs to teach her family about contraception because there appears to be an issue generationally that everyone's getting knocked up at 18 uh, in her family. Okay, I think she's got world's hottest grandma on a technicality, and you know I think to qualify to be the world's hottest grandma, you should have to be at least 60. You know, I would argue this is not the world's hottest grandma. She is, in fact, a run-of-the-mill MILF, okay? Now, why am I talking about the world's hottest grandma? I'll tell you why. Because she came out yesterday and said that she, before Warney died, before Shane Warne, the goat, died, tragically, she was actually seeing him, okay? You know, I don't want to use language this robust on the pod, but she was seeing him sexually, okay? So now this is something, firstly, what a treat from beyond the grave to hear that, you know, that add her to the list of yet another sort that the great man has knocked over, okay? For me, hearing about Warney knocking over the world's hottest grandma after he died, that's like when they released that Juice World album after he died, you know? You just think, fuck me, this guy continues to deliver even from beyond the grave. Love it. 
okay? And really, we should have seen this coming because I went on her Instagram, you know, I had a bit of a sort of a sticky beak at the world's hottest grandma. Her name's Gina Stewart, I believe. And she put up a post on when he died saying that they were, they were close friends, okay? Now, I don't want to speak ill of this woman, but when you look at her, I think it's very hard to believe that Shane Warne would ever have a woman that looks like her as a platonic friend in his life, okay? Without being sort of too aggressive about the whole situation, this woman looks more like a porn star than most porn stars, okay? So in hindsight, it was over. It was obvious, I should say, that Warney was boot scooting this woman. But I thought, and she said, fair play to her. She said she never spoke about it because Warney at the time wanted their relationship to be private. Okay. I think that's Warney's way of saying, hey, listen, you're not my real girlfriend. We're just doing a bit of boot scooting. Love your work, babe. But we don't need to go telling the whole world. And that's fair enough, you know? So what I'm thinking though is, I think other women, famous women, you know, should come out. If you were boot-scooting Warney in the 90s, you know, or, or the 2000s, what other celebrities do we not know about that Shane was involved with, you know? How many celebrities did he knock over over the years where at the time, you know, we're not going to go public with this for X, Y, and Z? But now that he's, you know, he's passed on and there's, there's no, you know, personal implications... I wonder what other celebrities Warney was associated with in his time on this planet, you know? I bet there's a few Hollywood stars in the mix. There's definitely a few Fox Sports news anchors in the mix, you know? A couple of those gals from the mid-2000s, I'd like to see them put their hand up, you know? There's definitely some reality stars, you know, a couple of bachelorettes, this sort of stuff. And to that, I say, girls, put a hand up, you know? It's all guilt-free now, you know? It's all good, but if you want to just tip your hat and say, I was lucky enough to be with the great man. He was a sensational lover and a, and a fantastic person. You know, we'd love to just update the list. That's all I'm saying. Something to think about, you know? <laughs> okay, up next, I want to talk about rugby league star Kayla, Kaylin Ponga and another rugby league player were caught in a cubicle over the weekend, allegedly doing drugs i'd like to see some proof um but now they've been drug tested right and uh and sort of an issue all right so basically they were caught in a cubicle both of them in the same cubicle at a pub over the weekend now this is and they've been tested for recreational party drugs under the nrl's drug testing policy okay now the results this will be their first strike if it if it comes back that they were in fact doing cocaine, which I find very hard to believe, okay? Why can't a couple of rugby league stars hang out in a cubicle at a nightclub without the whole world wondering what they're doing, okay? They're probably playing Pokemon cards or reading Harry Potter. They might be listening to a podcast. It might have been a bit loud out there. They're probably talking tactics for next week's game. I don't know what they're doing, but at the same time, I don't need to know it's none of my business. And to jump to the conclusion that these men in this cubicle at 2am in a nightclub on a Saturday night to jump to the conclusion that these men were doing cocaine? What gives you that right? Okay, that's my question. What gives you the right to insinuate that these men would be behaving in such a way in this setting at this time? It all seems a bit, 
you're jumping the jumping the shark a little bit for mine, okay? And the test results will will not be made public as it is only their first strike. I personally don't think they should test for party drugs. I think if a bloke wants to go out and do a bag after he's knocked over the Cronulla Sharks, that's his business. On top of that, to live in a world where we pretend that NRL players aren't doing cocaine every weekend seems a little bit ridiculous, okay? These guys are out there on the bags. It's really nobody's business, okay? I don't really think we need to be testing. It's like when Andrew Johns had to come out after his playing career and admit that he used to take ecstasy. It's like, yeah, dude, we know, okay? I would be way more furious if I found out one of these guys was on steroids, okay? Take all the pingers and coke and whatever else that you want. As long as you're not cheating, that's that, okay? Now, the funniest thing about this story is that Kalen Ponga's dad came out and said they weren't doing drugs, Kalen was feeling a bit ill and he was vomiting in the toilet and his teammate was just making sure he was okay. So that's hilarious, okay? That's one thing. Here's the thing, dude. I'm willing to let the guys go and do their cocaine. That's fine, okay? I'm not a, not a child. NRL player does cocaine in cubicle with fellow NRL player. Nothing new there. But don't you then come out and try and pull the wool over my eyes with this horrendous cover story that not even a four-year-old would believe, okay? Oh, they were just, he was sick. He wasn't doing coke. He was sick, you know? It was a nightclub at 2 a.m. He felt a little queasy and his his teammate was just making sure he was okay. Dude, if I'm going to let this go, you got to let it go too, okay? And I'm so sick of NRL players' parents making statements in the press defending their sons, you know? If your son's 23, 24, that's it. He's an adult, okay? If your son's 18, 19, playing NRL, gets caught up in a scandal, maybe the parents come out. But I'm getting pretty sick of NRL players' parents defending them for their actions like they're not fucking adults, okay? And and finally, just to wrap this up, and once again, I've got no qualms with Kalen Ponga and this bloke doing the, doing the blow. But my question is, when will NRL players learn to do cocaine more sneakily? You know, these blokes, half these blokes are down at, in a Westfield food court doing rails off a fucking table at midday on a Wednesday. It's like, lads, just be the slightest bit careful. You are a public figure. And this is a sacrifice you have to make. I'm sorry to ask this of you, lads. But when you go into a cubicle to do cocaine, you're just going to have to do it by yourself. I don't know what to tell you. That is the price you pay for being a rich and famous sports superstar. You have to do cocaine by yourself. I know. I know. What a world to live in. But we can't keep piling up, you know, half the back line for the Queensland Maroons in the same cubicle. It's getting out of hand, okay? Stop dropping cocaine on the floor in the middle of a huge beer garden. Stop freaking doing cocaine in front of people. Stop doing it with all your friends in front of people. Just do the cocaine more sneakily, you know, in a sneakier fashion, as it were. Please. Finally, I'd just like to uh, briefly talk about the Manly Seagulls players. You know, I missed the whole thing where the players didn't play uh, due to the rainbow stripes on the jersey because they don't believe in homosexuality. 
as a lifestyle or whatever they said because they're Christian, that's fine. I'm willing to go in, much like the cover story of Kalen Ponga just feeling a little queasy in that nightclub bathroom. I'm willing to go in on the fact that these manly seagulls, you know, uh, islander men who I, I see out in Manly every weekend, getting blind, whatever. I'm willing to go in on this facade that these are good Christian boys and that their religion, to which they are so devout, does not allow them to wear the rainbow stripes in support of homosexuality. I'll go in on that. But then this past weekend, those same players were throwing up gang signs after they scored tries to support their mate who stabbed someone, at, he stabbed a youth leader at a church gathering, Okay. This is where it just gets a little bit how you're going because it's like, okay, you're a real devout Christian, but you're supporting stabbing this innocent Christian man. I think it was at a baptism. Double check that, but I believe it was at a baptism or at the very least it was at a church gathering. Okay. And they're all, you know, supporting their boy, which I understand. And to be fair, the, this, uh, this player who stabbed this guy, he's probably a big Christian as well, you know. He probably just read the Old Testament and stopped there. So fair play to him. But I just think with this religious stuff, if we're going to go in on you hating the gays because of your religion, that's fine. But we can't go in on you supporting stabbing this bloke as well. You know, do others unto, unto what you would do to your fucking neighbor or whatever it is. You know, you can't cherry pick your faith when it suits you. You know, you can't take one round off for religious reasons. And then play the next round, throwing up gang signs, supporting stabbings. (laughs) Pick one or the other, you know? If you support the stabbing, you've got to wear the rainbow stripes, okay? But if you don't want to wear the rainbow stripes, you can't support the stabbing, okay? (laughs) Let's just have some consistency, you know? Most people... Now, this I hope this isn't too out of the box. I don't want to come across as some sort of a, you know renegade fanatic here, an extremist, if you will, most people don't support stabbings and they also don't support homophobia. If you want to go in on on supporting homophobia and stabbings, that's your right, okay? That's your right, but it's got to be one or the other, okay? Most people, like I said, most people, it's not the biggest issue. It wouldn't, it wouldn't change the course of their week, Hey, Bill, are you in favor of stabbings and homophobia? I'm not. That's fine. These guys love those things, which is fine. You know, chalk it up to their religion and them being, you know, some of the nicest altar boys this side of the bridge, but we just have to pick one of the other lads. We can't be flip-flopping around town like this. Okay? And I'll just finish off ever so quickly. Uh, The project for this week where we highlight Australian talent killing it here and overseas. Uh, I missed last week, but this week we have actor Ryan Core on the project. Now, Ryan is starring in the new House of Dragons Game of Thrones spinoff. There is nothing known about his character yet. It hasn't a- appeared in any of the previews, uh, which is good for me because I don't know anything about Game of Thrones and I would have really struggled to talk about it anyway. But this is another example of an Australian actor. Now, you're probably thinking, do I know Ryan Core? And I'm about to make you feel foolish for asking that hypothetical question. Ryan Core played the blonde guy with the, uh, 
the frosted tips in Silver Sun on ABC. Silver Sun, you know, Silver Sun. You know, when they're going through space, that was sick. He also played, I don't know, how does this fucking fit on your pipe? He also played Eric in season two of Blue Water High. My favorite Blue Water High character of all time. Won the Solar Blue Surf off that year. Is this ringing any bells? Iconic characters. Then to top it all off, he starred in Underbelly, A Golden Mile on Channel 9. What a trilogy. What a resume this man has. Most people would finish that trilogy off and go tools down. I'm retiring. I've reached the peak of my acting field. You know? I'm surprised you even did Underbelly. If I got to play Eric in Blue Water High and I win the Solar Blue Surf Off, and Simo tells me I'm the wild card on the fucking WSL next year in this fictional show, I don't ever act again. I think I've peaked. I've peaked, you know? Then he goes on to do Underbelly. Then he goes on to star in House of Dragon. And I also know he's done a shitload of theatre as well. This guy is fantastic. And acting, and acting great, if you will. He's an Australian who did it in Australia, worked hard here, took his talents overseas, and he's starring in one of the biggest shows on the planet. What a fucking legend, Ryan Kaur. Okay? So go see House of Dragon, even though it needs no other promotions. Apparently, it cost $300 million to make it. I need to watch Game of Thrones and then watch this thing. And I just want to say fucking awesome job, Ryan Kaur. Go check out the great man uh, in this new show. Love to see an Australian smack bang right in the middle of one of the biggest shows on the planet so fantastic stuff that is the podcast for this week brisbane encore show september 22 would love to see you there link in my instagram bio new stand-up clip on the internet as well tell your friends feel the hype spread the hype whatever dude thanks for listening way too long way too long yeah and i can see the ground now i'm way too gone.